I've lived a thousand lives. I've piloted a thousand souls. I've killed and fought and died just for another goal. This is the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Hello, and welcome to the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, Season 31, Episode 21. And my name is Kimmy. I'm Kadeem. And I'm Alex. Hello, and welcome, Alex, your first time on the advice show. Yes, I'm very cool. excited to yeah, be here. Very excited. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations to us. Yes, I do. For having a great person. So for those who haven't been watching Jason's Demigod's campaign, who are you and what makes you famous? Well, I'm not sure exactly famous unless you count the incredible Demigods campaign that we just finished, which I think should go viral. But my name is Alex, a.k.a. Aldermancy, A-L-D-E-R underscore M-A-N-C-Y on Twitter and other places. I use he, they pronouns, and I am a TTRPG writer, designer, editor, art director, kind of all of the hats under the sun, but Mm -hmm. mostly I can be found working for Hunter's Entertainment and also on the upcoming Confluence RPG by Publishing Goblin, which is a very fun, cool city, like world-building project RPG. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, one, being in our Demigods campaign and two, showing up on Friday. It's very yeah. exciting. <laughs> All right. In today's episode, Thomas from Denmark asks how to game with teenagers who act like teenagers. Ken from Canada wants to know how to keep card prompt games fresh with two players, and he uses Decima as his example. And Eric from Texas asks how we decide what games to support on crowdfunding sites. If you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Announcements. The Happy Jacks Discord will be hosting Game Days, which is our funny, cute name spelled with D-A-Z-E for like our community play day on April 8th. It's a fun, casual day for members of the Happy Jacks community to run and play games together. There are currently five games posted and looking for players, but more will be up soon probably. Come check it out if you're a fan of safe gameplay and trying new weird systems and games. And again, it's like free. Just join the Discord and sign up. It's cool. And if you want to do that, it's at happyjacks.org slash Discord. All right, Indie Designer of the Month. It is still March. So that means that Mo Poplar of Ashy Feet Games, ashybeat.com, is still our indie designer of this month. This week we're talking about Alien Omen. It's a forged in the dark game about pending alien invasion. Characters start off as city slickers or rural rangers. That's when I say rural rangers. Rural, yeah. rural, yeah. rural rangers. Okay. And we're right back to 30 rounds. Yep. Oh, but who will be introduced to the alien menace preparing its assault. As players lean into learning about the unknown, they gain power but at the cost of their own corruption. There's five playbooks. There's three factions you can play. There's rural rangers and city slickers crews. And there are downtime moves, two sample adventures, and you get all of that at ashyfeet.itch.io for $1. So that's a pretty good bargain. Yeah, sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. So, and uh, Mo makes great games, as you know. I'm a big fan of Forge in the Dark. Oh, good. And yeah, especially like all the different takes on it and stuff. It's... We were talking last week about how 
belonging outside belonging is like one branch of the PBTA tree. Yeah. And then there's fortune in the dark. And they grew in separate ways, but like so good, both of them. Yeah. All right. I've done a lot of talking. So someone else has to read email number one. I'm happy to begin. Okay. Oh, great. First. First podcast and picks the long email. I know. I love it. The long one? I, I'm I excited. Rug on. <laughs> Let me carry you away Ooh. with my sultry tone. Yes. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We have to introduce the drink we're trying? Oh, oh yes, yes. I have no idea if it'll be good. Yeah, it might be terrible. D- t- what is it, Dave? So it is, I'm attempting to make a butterscotch caramel rum based on Appleton Estate rum with essentially a bunch of Worthworth original. Okay. Kind uh, of that combination yeah. okay. uh, of flavors. And this is my first time tasting it, too. It just finished sitting. So, Ooh. here, cheers. 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 Oh, okay. Oh, wow. I feel like, right. yeah, it's not bad. It does. That's very drinkable. Yeah. yeah. It's I mean, very Werther's-y, though. It is. Like, you well, can, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I love sweet stuff, and that, yeah. This is, like, yeah. candy, yeah. Me, too. I'm like, does the drink taste like I might get diabetes from it? Yes, I will take it, please. I will take two. And add sugar, please. The nice thing is that... It has a very strong alcoholic scent, but you totally get hit with the candy up front. Yeah. So it's very smooth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that. Yeah, very good. Tasty. Yes. All right, so now back to our actual, yes. <laughs> the actual point of our podcast. Now that I've buttered my throat. <laughs> Dear Ringmaster Kimmy and the artist of the Happy Jack's Merry Circus, I am in doubt of when to send in the clowns to send it to save my own show and turn to you for advice. That I know what to do with. <laughs> I, I 100% want like a Ringmaster Kimmy cosplay. And yeah. All of us will do Stripe different hat. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Like I can train my poodles to ride bicycles. <laughs> Ex-poodles. Yeah. Oh, that's so Giant nice. poodles, like huge. One, one is massive. Yeah. And a giant klutz will never ride a bicycle. <laughs> when asking the members of the after-school gaming club I run about what makes a good game master, they had a lot of great perspectives. But one issue provided us with a great conundrum. It's easy enough to say that players are doing something wrong when they purposefully make actions in the game that are contradictory to the game's inner logic and purpose. And I'm not saying this is only a problem when playing with teenagers, but I have learned it's easier to assume that it will happen sooner or later rather than never when playing with kids. Some examples of situations that players should avoid but don't are during an audience with the king or any other authority figure, negotiating the rescue of the prince kidnapped by the local dragon. There's always some haggling about rewards, but that is to be expected. But what happens when a player decides that his character is going to misbehave, insulting the king with words or even actions? Yes, I had a player that wanted to pee in the corner of the king's audience chamber. (laughs) Number two, in games with a rule that's supposed to keep players in check, there are always players that want to play against said rule. In Legend of the Five Rings, the player wants to get more taint. In Call of Cthulhu, the player wants to maximize loss of sanity. In Star Wars, the player wants more dark side points, etc. Number three, players who insist on throwing a wrench in the machinery of any adventure. Some players might by accident go hunt a bear in the woods instead of finding secret Nazi villains trying to spread evil. That happens. But then there are players that forego the plan to steal the plans of the Death Star and insist that their character is going to straight up duel Darth Vader or even more bizarre, travel to Naboo to have a love affair with a Gungan. We talked about other examples as well, many from shared games, but these three should be enough to get the idea. My perspective on it is that to a certain degree, it's natural that players love to be able to play a game where you can do anything. Not even the most sandboxy of computer games allows you to do anything. 
and especially teenagers, like to challenge and experiment with any conceived borders of action set down by authoritative figures, including game masters. And when I play with the wonderful kids, I can always play the because I'm an adult and the teacher and I say so card. (laughs) But how to handle it in game? Should the game master say, no, you cannot do that, and then go against a fundamental rule in role-playing games, the player is in control of their character. Should players be allowed to send their character down paths of guaranteed insanity and weird mutations just because they want to see what happens? (laughs) Should the game master punish the players, preferably with in-game consequences and not real-world retribution? (laughs) No, we do not encourage more gaming horror stories to unfold. And what to do with the most obvious solution? Having an adult conversation about this is failing because you're a teenager and not playing with adults, but with other teenagers. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the matter. Best regards, Spielmeister Thomas from Denmark. Yeah, I vote for just use the teacher card. Do what I say. And if you're not a teacher? Oh yeah, then I'm, I'm just kidding. Don't actually do that. <laughs> if, you're the, if you're GMing for kids and you actually are like a staff on campus, like don't pull that about in-game stuff. If they're being mean or bullying and stuff outside of game, sure. But that, that, don't do that. All right. Well, if they're being mean and bullying in-game too, I think that's still a problem. You know, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But yeah. if it's like, I guess, I think that the root of this email is you have to determine, are they doing this in good faith or are they just being a little jerk? Yeah. Or, or very big jerk because a lot of teenagers are also very large. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but teenagers can be really inspired to do really weird off-the-wall things. Yeah. As someone who's done a lot of like theater stuff with teenagers and stuff as an adult, like they'll do weird improv things. And you're just like, why did you? Okay. And, but they do it in good faith. Like they do, they do it to be funny and they think, cause they think it's funny. So you have to determine, are they peeing in the corner of the King's chamber room? I'm going to defend that kid as historically <laughs> accurate if it was Versailles. Okay. Yeah. Yes. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but like, are they, are they doing it because they think it's funny in game? They yeah. think it's, they, they are much more likely to be, it's what my character would do, which and an adult is a little bit, I think, a bigger problem. But in a teenager, you're like, okay, I'm giving you some slack because your brain isn't completely developed. Or are they doing it specifically to throw things off track for everyone else? I'm a big fan of the warning mm-hmm. and not in a stern kind of way, mm-hmm. but rather playing out for a player what might happen if they take that action. Yeah. I sometimes feel like there's this hesitation in games to just say, what is going to happen before it actually happens. Even yeah. when it comes to safety warnings, I've played in games where I get to do a big dramatic horror reveal and then it ended up not hitting the way I wanted it to because I it was bigger than I thought, it was scarier than I thought, it hit on some insecurities that I didn't know to check. Yeah. And then I've had some really cool moments where I said to players ahead of time, I really want to give you a big creepy crawly bug in the woods that's going to bite someone's head off. And then they were like, I'm so excited about that. Or actually, can we give this less legs? Too many legs is bad for me. (laughs) So I think especially with teenagers, kind of playing it out might be a good way to do it. Not just a, are you sure you want to do this? But saying, if, for example, you go into the corner and you make eye contact with the king while you do so, and you let him know that you're really messing with him, your character is smart enough to recognize that there are guards at the doors, that the king is prone to temper tantrums, and that even though you might make a really good point, there are some dire consequences that could come into play. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that you're right. A lot of times, especially in more narrative games, people are afraid to kind of have teeth 
to like what's happened. Yeah. And I think it's okay to in your game to not make everything work out perfectly just because the players have gone that way with the narrative. They can go a certain way and still have things not work out the way they want it. Because that's part of the fun of the role-playing game. Like doing it maliciously, that's shitty. But like saying, okay, like you're peeing in the corner. You're making an amazing point. Everyone's going to talk about this for years. And the guards are approaching you and they look very upset. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. I think the, the, the hard thing with teenagers is I think if they're doing it in, like, that is a great way to handle it if they're doing it, like, in actual good faith, like, as part yeah. of the game. Sure. If they're just being a shithead, then that's when you pull out the, that's not cool. You are you? Do you want to keep playing or do you want to leave? Because yeah. there is that, sure. like, yeah, yeah. laying out the line, too. And that's the, sometimes the hardest thing. Like, I'm so informed by my day job by this today because I literally had a kid who I caught, like, stealing stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I've been, like, kind of, like, sus- like suspicious for a while because things keep disappearing. And I was like, and then, like, there's just a moment where you're like, I'm not, I can't coddle you anymore. I've tried to like get you to have conversations about honesty. And I've like sat down and had heart to hearts about, hey, how are you feeling about things? Like a couple times. And then today was like, nope, caught him right-handed. Okay, no more, no more like Miss Nice teacher. Like yeah. we're going to have to have like, you're, you're gone now. You're going to have to leave this. So there's times where that is absolutely appropriate. And I think that idea of directness mm-hmm. actually speaks to another element of kind of being a facilitator, game master in TTRPGs, mm-hmm. which is the idea of good faith, bad faith, and trying to assume which one. Yeah. Sometimes it is really helpful to just ask and say, like, are you making this decision because you feel like it's what your character would do or you really want to see what happens? And then to say, like, are you aware that this might spotlight your character away from the rest of what everyone wants to do? Are you aware that there are in the rules big consequences for doing this? Just like asking straight up, are you doing this because you feel unsatisfied with where you are in the plot? Yeah. Are you not having fun with the story? Like you said, just asking. Are you bored? Are you bored? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then you can maybe address the root of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. With teenagers, it's really great too if you're doing work to do like little surveys at the end, like Mm. like tickets out of class or whatever. Because a lot of times they're very nervous about sharing anything in front of their peers, even if it's friends that you think they trust a lot. Like if they want more attention in the game, they're very likely or they're feeling ignored. They're very not like they're not going to say that in front of anybody, even if you ask super nicely, even if you frame it very safely. But doing a little like one to five. Are you feeling like you're doing enough stuff in the game? Circle, circle, circle takes two seconds to do. You collect it from everybody or the GM collects it from everybody and can really inform them. And then it just gives them a chance to really like express those things without having to feel vulnerable because teenagers hate feeling vulnerable often. Yeah, for sure. I think also important step is to sit down and have the pre-conversation, right? Before you get to the throne room, before you even get into the game, sit down and say, hey, everybody, we're going to play this kind of game today. There are ways that you could, you're allowed to make choices Mm -hmm. that will guide our whole story, but you're guiding our whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Make sure they understand, like, when you make a wild choice, well, now maybe the whole party's thrown in in the dungeon for a night mm-hmm. because the king's upset, but he doesn't really have a big choice about who to send for this mission. So tomorrow you'll go, but chances are maybe you lost some important piece of equipment down there because the guard on duty was like, oh, that's a nice looking dagger. Yeah. Some things can happen when you make choices. So Think about what you're doing to everybody mm-hmm. kind of thing, which is hard for teenagers. I know. Yeah, like that's, that's yeah. a thing. <laughs> Super hard. 
it's hard for a lot of grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, accurate. There's a metaphor I like to use when I talk about GMing with resistant players or with maybe especially with teenagers who might feel like they don't have authority or agency. And the idea that a TTRPG isn't like a road trip. You don't just have one driver and then everyone else sitting and watching. It's more like riding a four-person bicycle where everyone is pedaling, but one person has their hands on the steering wheel. So everyone has to pedal. And if (laughs) no one is pedaling and it's only the driver, you're not really going to go anywhere. You're going to go places super slowly. Mm -hmm. So even, again, like saying to everyone, I need your help to tell this story. And you just took your feet off of the pedals or you're pedaling backward. We're all trying to go one direction. If you want everyone to go the direction you're going, you have to ask us about it. Otherwise, we're just going to slow down and stop and stall. Yeah. As much as we all think about our own characters and stuff, TTRPGs are a team sport. (laughs) No. And just like telling kids that, because a lot of them haven't had, like, especially now, a lot of the kids who are teenagers now have had the last few years where they haven't had as much or they've had very odd interactions with COVID. A lot of them missed like a whole year of school. And that's sort of going to echo through their life experience for a while. A lot of them are, are still catching up. Just statistically, we're seeing like different levels of emotional reaction, people being either more mature than we'd expect or less mature than we'd expect. Like I could go into all the trainings I've been through since COVID started about this. But so that can be affecting them too. A lot of them spent a lot of time online playing games where they don't have this type of interaction. Like Dave was saying, like no matter how open the world feels, you know, when you play Skyrim, you're like, oh, I can do anything. You can't. Like, you go into the Jarl's like thing and you jump on someone's head, nobody arrests you. They're like, ooh. Mm-hmm. And then they keep walking on their pre-planned path. So a lot of them aren't used to really, like you said in the email, being able to do anything and then having consequences for that. Because they can go and they can teabag somebody in another game. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I did the thing. Okay, next game. And that's not a thing that happens in TTRPGs. These games have memory. And they're not used to games that have memory. Mm. So I think really making that clear and like ramping up your adventure slowly, like having them meet some less important people (laughs) at the beginning so that like when they finally do get to the king, they've had some experience with, oh, well, we punched the sheriff in the gut in that little village and that didn't go well. So maybe we should be a little bit more respectful with the king, like some training levels, if you will, (laughs) for for your How teenage adventurers. Socially acceptable. Yeah. Like, Honestly, like I still have to do le- like legit straight up lessons with nine and 10 year olds about this is how you deal with like in a small group when you have to do a poster together. Here's your topic. I do an, an outline and they still disagree about how to do it. Like here's your plan. Here's what it should look like. Yeah. Here's the pictures that should be on this part of it for your topic. And they still find ways to argue about it. So like they need a lot of handholding. And even, I'm not sure exactly what age, like there's a big difference between freshmen and seniors with this. Yeah. So that could also affect things. So just kind of put, put more like, I know I've used in the descriptions before the, the bumpers when you're bowling, <laughs> like put a lot of them out and then slowly remove them as you see them building those, those abilities. Yeah. Especially when it comes to this second example, talking about playing against rules that are meant to keep players in check or balance games like Sanity Points or Taint or Dark Side, et cetera. Yeah. I think there's this other idea that the game master is the only one who might know how certain rules work or like they've done the reading, et cetera. 
And even just to say to a player like, oh, you don't want sanity points when they're trying to gather them, it might not have the effect of explaining a mechanic a bit more in detail, saying, you know, you're burning through a fuse. And if that's the story you want to tell, you know, you're telling that story. Why is your character doing that? But if you just want all these really powerful abilities at the cost of something, I want to be clear to you, it's not just a number on the page, like the story we're telling cares about these things. Yeah. And they're really important. And if you don't care about them as much, what's happening is that your character isn't living in the same world as the other characters because everyone else does care about this. Yeah. Yeah. And and specifically, like, these are the consequences to having this much corruption or, you yeah. know, shadow points or whatever it is. Like, it seems like a win-win now, but mechanically, because... Sometimes, like we said, they don't always have like that empathy of, oh, I'm messing up the game for other people. They some many do, but some don't. And then like this is the mechanical cost later. Yeah. Like you won't be able to in one ring, you literally won't be able to do anything. <laughs> like if you get too yeah. many shadows, like it's really bad. That's and, how you end up in an underwater lake eating raw fish. <laughs> yeah, forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. Like I think they they are very prone, again, because especially the the kids right now have spent so much... I mean, I was an online gamer. I was addicted to games through most of college, like legitimately like 10 hours a day plus online for gaming, a lot. But they, they've done so much of it that sometimes like min-maxing is something that they do just automatically. And so many of them play Pokemon or Magic... I would say they play Magic the Gathering, but... I'm just old and they don't play Magic the Gathering anymore. People play Magic the Gathering. Not young people. Young people. Youngish They play people. online. They do is play what online. I will say. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But most of them, like almost all of them have played Pokemon cards. They still, like even the teenagers, like, so they, they're very used to the idea and it, with video games and, and these card games they play, collectible card games of min-maxing. Yeah. And so it's very in their nature to just do that. And so it's sometimes it's not even like in bad faith or that they want to get super powerful. It's like they literally have just practiced their whole lives making super powerful characters so they can do the thing and slowly like showing them that there's another way and that it's a role playing game can sometimes take a little bit of time. Sure, sure. And a lot of times you put something in front of someone that's a fuel tank and they want to use it. Yeah, yeah. Just, oh, okay, well, I can do this if I take extra... Dark side points. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, the first time I played the Dooms in, like, Masks. That's that's the name, right? The playbook? The Dooms? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, wait. I've played so much PBTA lately. I'm like, what is the name of any playbook? Like, you do. You want to, like, get those points, and it's really exciting. And get huge. Yeah, and when people play Demigods, they want to use the Ascension mood. It's like, oh, because it's fun to, like, push that boundary and just see how, when you first drive a car, you're like, Pressing the gas a little. Oh, okay. Can I stop? Okay. Like it's and interesting it things out. happen. Yeah. You know? But if it comes down to the player is trying to cause an issue, or even if they're acting in good faith, they're being stubborn and you're struggling with it. I think, especially when it comes to teenagers, you have to think about how you address it in a group and how you address it one on one, because there's power to doing both. Saying to a group, I'm struggling with telling the story. It, you don't want to single someone out, but you might be able to say, like, how is everyone feeling about this choice and kind of get a, a group sway if you're having trouble saying it directly. But I also think there is a lot of power to coming one-on-one, especially between teenagers and just having an adult conversation as much as you can to say, like, 
behind the scenes, behind the screen, I'm having trouble with this. Can we work together on it? Yeah. Always try to have the adult conversation, even if they're not an adult, because they deserve that respect. They deserve, just like the kid who's stealing my class, like, like I had those conversations because he deserved that. He deserved that chance to have the opportunity to talk to me about it, to come clean, explain why it was happening or whatever. Like children are, are little or sometimes very much taller than you people too, even though they're still developing, they're still learning. And looking back, they will remember that you gave them that chance. Even if they feel upset at that moment that you had them leave the game or whatever ends up happening, the fact that you treated them with the respect to sit and have a respect that conversation will stick with them. And it makes them a better person, even if the situation doesn't end exactly like you want it to. The very tricky thing that I, I think from reading your email is that I think other teenagers are running these games for teenagers. That is tough. Yeah. And that's super tough. I would make sure I was having like regular conversations with my GMs, like mm-hmm. one-on-one or as like a group of GMs, like have them, like if you have more than one, like pool them, have them come or stay 20 minutes later or come 20 minutes early and yeah. like talk with each other and talk with you about what's happening because they will create solidarity together and make themselves stronger for saying no or being more likely to give themselves more confidence, knowing that they have also their own little GM team, like will make them feel better about making rules and choices in the game and adjudicating different things with some authority. And I'm sure it's been said plenty of times on this podcast since I am here for the first time, but safety tools always have so much power. And especially if it is someone of the same age running for other teenagers, both a pre-session and a post-session have a lot of power to them. Mm. Not just a session zero, like a prior to starting the game, setting out rules, but even just the 15 minutes before the players start playing the game but are sitting at the table together have a lot of power to them because there are, are a lot of rules and expectations you can set in the first 15 minutes that will set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that th- I will say that this is one place where you do need to step in and pull the teacher card. Like if whatever safety tools you put in place, the X card, I feel can be, I think the X card is amazing, but I feel for teenagers, you might want to find a way to do something more subtle because they will have a big hesitancy to use the X card in front of their peers because again, it's that vulnerability. But having a lines and veils document, whether they can fill out anonymously is a huge help. Happy Jacks has a really good one if you want to go look at it. (laughs) And finding very subtle safety tools. Definitely still have the X card on the table so that they can use that as like the fail safe, but realize that teenagers are not going to use that as their first stop. When adults might have the confidence to be like, tap that. But you as the teacher need to be like, okay, if you break these safety agreements, like you're done. Yeah. Like that's when you step in. Like if someone touches the X card and someone throws a fit about it, oh, I really like the scene. Why did you have to do that right then? Like, boom, you're out of there. That's when you pull the, I'm the teacher. You're not doing this anymore card. Because those things need to be enforced to make everyone else feel safe. So that's the one time I'm going to say, don't worry about it. Like, have that adult conversation up front. Like, okay, these are safety tools. This is how they work. If you break this rule, you're out. And then don't worry about having this. <laughs> don't, don't worry about having that conversation again if they break the rules. Yeah. All right. You're good? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Feels good. Feels it's complete. Sorry. I, I feel I picked that one for today. I was like, okay, I need to talk about teenagers today. Okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> When I, I saw the topic blurb, I was like, 
So, like, you sit down to play tabletop RPGs, yeah. and two of them have gone to make out somewhere, <laughs> and one of them smoking weed, and you're That like, is a whole different issue. That's, yeah, that's a different kind of game. I mean, that's 100% a problem with any club you run at high school. <laughs> yeah. All right, you two, why were you both late? No reason, like, lipstick smeared over both their faces. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry, we got, we were... So I was attacked by an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we all saw. We were walking by in the hallway. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. I'm not giving you any advice about that. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. That's all another thing. All right. <sighs> Mailbag number two. Sure. Hello, Kimmy and the Jets. Let me start by saying I love, love, love Deckham. It's added so much to my games, and everyone I've introduced to it, introduced it to that GMs has adopted it. It adds story, it brings out my non-role players to create stories and connections, etc. Love it. Sorry to make you uncomfortable, Kimmy. I'll move on. Thank you. Also, thank you. Recently, I started a campaign for the two players in one of my groups that always show up, even when the third player doesn't. This, unfortunately, is now fairly common due to what I call the Yoko effect. (laughs) But we decided to start a campaign in Lankmar, for Savage Worlds, originally designed setting for the for a game world that I've known and loved since my youth in the 70s and 80s. However, I did discover a situation for which Decima wasn't perfect. I mean, that's very common. That's fine. We found we often had to redraw and redraw and sometimes redraw, like any time there was someone in the party did, and there were only two people in the party, so it was pretty obviously a problem. Hmm. Other than redrawing a lot, is there any advice you can give for running Decima for two people? Thanks, and keep making GMing easier and better. P.S. Decima 2 NPC Generator. Am I right? Ken from Canada. And brand new on the Discord as Mr. Tall Teacher. Excellent. Oh, we have a lot of teachers tonight. I hadn't looked at that part when I... That's so cool. Yeah, it's exciting. No idea why teachers would listen to this podcast. Well, I feel like this is a common problem with a lot of like prompt-driven games. Like, I've played a lot of, like, For the Queen and The Quiet Year and things like that. And with two people, it really changes the experience a lot of times. And you can also, if you've played things a lot, you kind of get the thing where you, like, kind of have a go-to answer for stuff. And then you're like, no, I'm going to pick something way different. Sure. And it just kind of, like, becomes difficult. So I'd like to, like, switch this up a little bit. I'll, I'll talk. We can talk to, about Decima specifically. But I also want to talk about, like, prompt-driven games, uh, especially, mm-hmm. like, card types and stuff like that. And, like rolling tables and stuff like that, where you have things that it's harder with two people. Yeah. So first off, for Decima specifically, I'm assuming you mean like the character connection cards. My first suggestion would be to switch it and just have it like, it doesn't have to be necessarily another PC, even though that's how the game is made. Like make, you use the question, make up an NPC. Or make it for somebody who used to be part of their party or somebody in their backstory. That's what I was going to say. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, there's some reason why Jimmy the Barbarian isn't here anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, he's had to go. And now that's an extra story, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. The whole point of Decima is you get so much stuff that you don't have to do as a GM. So the more stuff they come up with, even if it's not like a direct link to another PC, even though that's great, it's more stuff for you to use. And if there's another player, like, You can still, I think, add stuff to them, like answer questions that involve them and just get their consent a little bit later. Like, hey, this is what we came up with. Are you cool with this? Or like text them. Yeah. Like if you're not streaming, like you might as well. Hey, is it cool? if You know, you and I are exes and like we Mm -hmm. have we're a little bit bitter, but then it's like there's those looks we give each other or whatever it is. Sounds like if he has or he or she has a 
significant other, which is what I'm assuming is happening and why they're not showing up as much. Maybe that won't be the best example, but you get what I mean. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can kind of do to do that. I also, I don't know, what are some other things like with, with prompt-driven games? I've found that if I overplay any game like that, mm. then I'm kind of done for a while. I find that as well. Especially yeah. if it's with a similar group or, the, or mm-hmm. a lot of shared people in the group. It's fun to reinvigorate your love of one of those games when you end up at a table with a bunch of new people. Yeah. Because then they take it in wild places that you don't know yeah. or expect. But yeah, I, I found the same thing. Like I also love For the Queen and, yeah. and there have been a couple others that I've played that I very much enjoy and love coming up with Bizarre, the weird Muppet. <laughs> Muppet Queen. Like Muppet... <laughs> existential crisis game that we ended up making that was really good. Oh my goodness. We had like a war between the Muppets that had human hands and the ones that didn't. Cool. Oh, Very wow. The ones that had human hands were closer to the creators, so they thought they were better. And, yeah. Uh, that sounds like a blast, honestly. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, Joe. Joe yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, those things are great. Like, I love coming up with bizarre, mm-hmm. weird stuff with a bunch of people around the table. But then... Again, you get into that habit of like, okay, well, we're just kind of answering these same questions. We know them a lot. Let's yeah. put that one aside for a while, do something else. Yeah, I, I have sort of burned out. Like, I haven't played For the Queen in a while, but there was a time where it was like the thing we all pulled out at like two o'clock in the morning at a convention. And it's, yep. all, it's always like the same six or eight people. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing every time. But it was always like, like no matter what we came up with, we all knew each other so well. It was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. It's not really surprising that you came up with a great idea because you're great. Uh, Rose RPG has said there's a bunch of them on StorySend that you can play online together. And I actually was going to shout out StorySend yeah. as well. I love it. And there are a ton of card games that are based around For the Queen. They just have different prompts and different stories that you play through. Mm-hmm. I really like using card prompt games as a start to another kind of campaign mm-hmm. or session. I think they can be a great way to establish backstory. And not knowing Decima as well, I will say that not sticking to the prompt on the card as tightly can be helpful. Yeah. Adding another character can be helpful, but also giving a card to a player or as the facilitator to say that this is just a prompt for another kind of question. Mm-hmm. So I've had, for example, in a session zero using card prompts, etc., had a player pull a card that was like, you are X's with another player and this is how you broke up. And then they ended up saying, actually exact opposite of this card we're together and this is how we got together. Mm-hmm. And like, we're still together. So saying whatever the prompt on the card is, is the opposite. Yeah. Can be another way that you can expand prompts or just taking elements of a question and reframing a question can also be really helpful. Yeah. With Decima specifically too, like there's a whole bunch of different ways. If you look in the back of the instruction booklet, there's a whole bunch of variations on how to play. So like play one of the versions that has fewer character connection cards. So that's another way if you're, you can also twist the card, like whatever you want to do. Like that's the whole thing. Like Decima is made to be whatever you want it to be, where you can like just do location building or just use world dynamics and locations and skip the character creation cards until everyone's there. Or just do one character connection card with each person and then do a bunch of location cards or the world dynamics cards. So don't feel like you have to follow like the traditional set in the rule book. Like it's literally made to be super flexible because like there's games like PBTA that don't that have a whole bunch of character connection already so they don't necessarily need more and then there's like D&D that has no character connection but like a whole bunch of stuff about insert 
D&D city. I don't know. Yeah. Everdeep, whatever. Is that a place? Waterdeep. Waterdeep, there. Okay, Waterdeep. Yeah, it's... Um, it's... Yeah. It's a suburb. Yeah. See, yeah. That's, what they, that's what they call like about 30 minutes out, like a little bit to the north. Okay. Yeah. But like, so that, like that place, I'm sure there's maps and stuff and things. I've read the books. I don't, I don't play TNT. <laughs> so like, you don't need more location stuff necessarily. So you can do just character connections and just the world dynamics cards with that. So like, mix it around and be flexible. I know I'm getting like face palms in the chat. You know this about me. <laughs> you know this and love me anyway. Don't worry about it. There's plenty of people who know D&D. It's fine. I will admit to knowing D&D quite well, but I yes. feel like I, I mean, I am dating the community manager of yeah. D&D Beyond, so I feel like it makes sense that I know D&D. And you like DMing I games do DM, you know, but I am a big fan of indie TTRPGs and card yeah. prompt games. I really like what you were saying about drawing cards and then creating NPCs from them. And mm-hmm. so thinking of those cards as ways to just create relationships outside of the party is really helpful. But also... It doesn't just have to be between the party and NPCs. It could be between random NPCs of a town or something like that. Um, if sure. you're working on a plot or if you have this Langmar setting, maybe these cards just kind of give you the opportunity to do a pull the camera away from the party, zoom it into a completely random moment in a town that's relevant to your plot. And then yeah. suddenly you're doing a cinematic cutscene that the players, the player characters don't know about where whatever the prompt is, is happening as they are fighting villains. Well, and then you end up with the random baker in the village that everybody at the table is super emotionally invested in. Yeah. They know about their heartbreaking backstory mm-hmm. and all that. And you're like, I never thought we'd care about a baker down the road, but here we are. So it can be very useful mm-hmm. to flesh out the whole world. Yeah. I know I'm the, you've listened to me on this very podcast say, don't over prep your world. But when you're doing a card-based game like that at the table with everybody, yeah. you're not writing a novel that then you're going to just shove characters into. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's that, a little different. Yeah. Well, and it's actually a great way of getting everyone else involved and like shorthand and, and people get more invested. Mm-hmm. I found and one of the reasons I, I made it in the first place because I was like pulling stuff from microscope and PBTA and like ad hocing this mishmash of pregame prep stuff every time I was running a campaign mm. because it it makes things so much easier because it's not like, hey, this is the town we live in. What's next door, GM? It's like, well, you already know it's there because we drew the map together. So yeah. everyone has the same amount of knowledge as the GM for the most part. So it really is like so much easier to just like hit the ground running, which I've talked about before and we can stop talking about my game. It's fine. I feel awkward. Someone else say something. Ready, go. I think that's kind of all. I like, think that's a... Okay. We have spewed forth enough Ta-da! thoughts. Okay, excellent. Sounds like a great transition. Do you want to do Mailbag 3 or should I? I will do Mailbag 3. Yeah. I feel like it's been long enough since I was reading things. Mailbag number three. Good day, Happy Jacks, Mutineers. Eric from Texas here to back to test your appraising chops. Hope the overthrow of Stu is continuing apace. Curious to hear your thoughts on some RPG ruminations I've been reflecting on as of late. And as we see Zine Month and Zine Quest sail into the horizon, when considering whether a new RPG I found is right for me, I always find myself looking for core resolution mechanics that seem new or innovative to me, like Grant How How it's the new one one page seagull RPG, mm-hmm. where the core resolution mechanic is collective yelling. <laughs> That's I did see that. It's really good. Yeah. Beyond that, I look for projects and products I think could easily plug into my already established table and for the true experience from the game that seems novel. 
For me, deal breakers include anything related to the dragon game. Projects or products that aren't clear or upfront about how the game works or how the mechanics function together. Big ups to free quick starts, including with games or included with games and digital only releases. I'm getting older. And if I can't look at my shelf to see if I have a game, I often forget I own it. Mm. Now the question for you, scurvy dogs. What factors do you look for when evaluating whether or not you're going to back a tabletop RPG related product or crowdfunding project? What factors are red flags or deal breakers for you? Mm. Happy sailing on the RPG waters and drink some water if you have it. Eric from Texas. I don't. I have no water. <laughs> I have sea captain water. We have rum tonight. This is very like on mm-hmm. point. Scurvy dogs. You yeah. did highlight to me, my friend, that I didn't have any citrus today. <laughs> well, scurvy is always I lurking. Know, it's a risk. It's always yeah, a it's danger. A problem. Yes. I maybe have too many thoughts on this. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so we have to step away from this as people who've run Kickstarters. Yes. And we have to look at it as people who support Kickstarters. That's me. Yeah, that's you. (laughs) Yes, please, please. So you. Yeah, yeah. More Uh, than like almost anybody I know. Well, I don't back that many. I'm actually pretty selective. Oh, okay. The first thing I look for is if it's a company I know and like Mm -hmm. that has a history of making good things. Wink, Free League. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Free League. So, yeah, I mean, there's... There's a reason why it, when they put up a Kickstarter, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm here, take some money, bring me something later, and it's great. And they always do. Mm-hmm. It's not like Stork's horrifying experience mm-hmm. of the Kickstarter that he and I ran a convention game of the previous edition. Yeah. We talked about it. We passed out link QR codes to the new Kickstarter to all the players. Then the guy was five years late and oh, died yeah. Yeah, and that's... never provided the promised product. That's tough. Yeah. It's hard to be, hard to be angry at someone who passed away. So you're like, no, you can't because they were five years late. Okay. Okay, Yeah, that's true. And they gave themselves three years to make the product. Oh, so it's tough. Yeah. It was when you're nigh on a decade of your Kickstarter, you have to really think. The other thing I I look for is honestly like friend recommendations Mm -hmm. more than anything else. Like if it's somebody I've never heard of and I rarely go looking for a new RPG. I have too many that I'm not running at all yet (laughs) or trying to learn and figure out and and do. But when I'm looking for something, it's usually like a friend has said, hey, yeah, or I've ended up playing in somebody's game or something at a con. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. That was fun. Conventions are a great great way to find new games like that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to confess, I am actually a super backer. (laughs) I back a lot of projects. Yeah. But so similar to that, like first thing, like I have certain companies or authors and things that I follow because I love their stuff. Even if something doesn't necessarily speak to me, a lot of times I'll be back at like the lower levels. If I'm like, I don't think I'd ever really play this, but I want, I want to support you making stuff. So a lot of times I'll back at like the PDF only level or something like that. But I also forget I own games if I don't see them. So it's, I'm in this weird like ADHD space where I like have no shelf space. So I only buy PDFs, but then I forget I have PDF. It's very complicated. But my biggest thing, definitely friend recommendations too. That's absolutely key. Looking for how well planned out things are and how far along in the project they already are. I am very hesitant now. I've been burned. I've been burned before. Of games and stuff that it's like, hey, here's my concept. Or, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm starting to work on this. Even if it's not like completely done, like you were saying, if there's a 
like a character sheet that I can see a picture of or an explanation of the mechanics that I can tell are well thought out. If I can tell it's been like play tested well, I don't need a finished written game, but I need to know that the the bones are there and that the mechanics are set. If you're still play testing, I get a little nervous about that because there's just so many pitfalls. There's so many things that can happen in the creation process already. If you're already done, like having published games by myself from my house, like with a done game, there's so many things that can still go wrong. If you're like, here's everything done. All I have to do is have it printed. Oh, wait, there's a worldwide pandemic. Okay, fine. That, that's the thing I look for the most is like kind of the quality of the materials that are there and how far along in the process that they already are. That's the biggest one for me. Yeah. So I have a suggestion to help with the lost millions of PDFs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Games. Oh, okay. Get yourself one of those cheapy little digital picture frames mm-hmm. and take screenshots of all the covers of your PDFs and just put it on there as like a rotation. Oh, and then cool. it just sits in the corner of your room and it's decorative and you see these games you're like oh shit I haven't played that one yeah, yeah. never heard of that I thought you were going to say like get the binder and then print out all the no, PDFs no. or anything but no that's awesome no and then you just really you smart. know it's just something that pops up and yeah. kind of yeah. brings it to the front of your that's mind once advice. in a while that's so smart ta-da you're welcome internet yeah I, I'm not surprised I shouldn't be surprised that's a great I'm, I, it's a great advice. idea <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so smart. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, so many thoughts. But you, but yeah. you go next. Well, I, I'm i glad you said as someone who's worked on Kickstarters versus backs, because mm-hmm. definitely have a lot of different perspectives on that. Mm-hmm. I sometimes feel differently than you, Eric, because projects that have a digital component are really helpful for me. And I have and often enjoy backing uh, TTRPG Kickstarters that are digital only. But if a Kickstarter is digital only, I really do look for certain kinds of quality in the digital only content, especially compatibility. I previously have worked for One More Multiverse, which is a really cool pixel art style virtual tabletop. So you can bring in like little pixel art characters and whatever. And they did some awesome Kickstarters with Jay Dragon mm-hmm. from Possum Creek. And they made a version of Blades in the Dark that is like a pixel art version that you can just pick up and play. So anything that related to a virtual tabletop that I already play and use is really, really helpful, especially nowadays with the prevalence of awesome VTTs and the way that people have a lot of critiques with some of the bigger things like, you know, D&D Beyond, etc. I often hear people compare VTTs to like, can it do what this one can and like, you know, all that stuff laid out. So suffice it to say, if a project offers digital only and they are partnering with multiple virtual tabletops and have examples of play using those virtual tabletops, that's a big plus one for me. Like I know that I'm going to be able to use that on a variety of platforms and those platforms usually set stuff up for you to make it easier to get to the game. Yeah. So like they're thinking of players in that way. Yeah. I also do really like products related to the dragon game, but especially for those, I care a lot about system compatibility. Yeah. So games that don't even say like, oh, we're going to make rules for how you can use this in different systems, but say upfront, like you can change the stats on this. You can use this without a system. We're going to be making and releasing playbooks for this system agnostic setting. Mm-hmm. All of that, really helpful, really useful. Yeah. And then finally, my biggest thought is I just love ephemera 
And I feel like so many people love ephemera. Mm -hmm. And so ephemera that looks good and has mock-ups, especially if I just see like a bunch of pretty cards that I can play with, I'm in. I'm sold. (laughs) I'm going to get you a deck deck of mana minute. I want it. I want it. (laughs) But no, absolutely. Yeah. That's so big for me too. Like now zine month, that's a little different. Like I don't mind for zine quests. Like, okay, here's my thing I made on Google Drive and it's got some free clip art that I got. Like totally great. I love it. I'm there for this. If you're asking for like a higher price point and you're looking for publishing and if it's like, hey, a color hardbound book and all these things, I want to see like good art. I want to see that you have like set stuff set up. I want to see artists credited. I want to see all mm-hmm. that stuff showing that you are working with a team or if you're doing it all yourself, that you're explaining how you're doing it all yourself because there are people who have that artist skill set. I do not. So like talking about how you're going to get it done and showing what the final product will look like is huge for yeah. me in that context. Like if I'm paying 10 bucks for your little like zine quest thing, I love it. Don't change a thing. It's perfect as it is. I love it. But if you're going for that like next level product, like it needs proof of concept there. It needs ideas. It needs Mm -hmm. like what it will, what is the vibe? Because the art communicates so much. And to the point of if you're looking at a ton of different products, like if you are faced with 15 or 20 different Kickstarters that you want to back, like you're really steeped in it and you follow a lot of people on different newsletters and itch and social media and all of that stuff. What I sit down and think about at the end of the day is how much this game wants me to play it and how much this game wants to be played. So like you said, things like quick starts or ash cam versions where before I even back, I can learn about the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. If there are a lot of cultural examples, mm-hmm. if there's an actual play that I can watch that says, okay, this game wants to be played. I know how it's played. And then I look at how much the game wants to be played by me. So things like safety tools up front, because I'm a player that cares a lot about that. If the art is diverse Mm -hmm. and has like representation in it, that's another big thing for me. If the writers and the creators and people on it are enthusiastic about the game and reaching out and asking for volunteers, I feel excited about that. And then related to the ephemera, digital or not, things that are accessible. So you can download before the game ever releases a few cards to look at and print off. Mm -hmm. Or especially when it comes to expansions of games, like, you know, a setting expansion for Pathfinder or the new, I think Monster Heart had a new expansion or something like that. Yeah. Things that specifically appeal and lean in really hard to a theme or a bit or even a gimmick they're just easier to pick up and explain and understand. Yeah. So, yeah. 100%. I want something that's different than what I have already. Yeah. So a bunch of people, you know, with D&D a few months, weeks, weeks, months, whatever, it, time has no meaning, like ago with the OGL drama, which I'm not going to talk about. Suddenly, everybody was releasing like their own like high fantasy system that's the same, but different. And I just was like, I am not interested and like good on you i'm super go like i'm cheering you on but i'm probably not going to put money in that because i'm not probably going to play that like the one ring like was super neat like that speaks to what i want to do yeah like there are i'm not saying all high fantasy is bad i love high fantasy but like i don't want alternative to a generic high fantasy system because that's not what Mm -hmm. interests me if you're going to do a high fantasy system make it weird and make it unique and make it special i think it's monica cook who recently did who i backed like their shield maidens, which is like high fantasy cyberpunk, yeah. you know, 
Monster Pockets just so good. So, they, they're designed. They're amazing. so tasty. But it's like, yeah. you are supposed to be like the, it's like post-apocalyptic shield maidens fighting for the world. And it's fantasy, but also cyberpunk badass feminine fighters. And I'm just like, my, this was made for me. I will back it. Like I backed it immediately. Like it took me like half a second. I was like, yes, I will give you all my money. But then there's like other things where we're like generic Viking adventure. I'm like, oh, cool. Mm, I feel like I have like four of those already. Maybe not. I'll see. So whatever is weird or unique about the game, like if you're putting on a Kickstarter, like make it weird. Make it clear what's weird about it. Make it, Why is it different from everything else that you've done? What does it do for me as a player or a GM? Who does it speak to specifically? Because like that just that's what I want to know. That's that's the thing that will make me take a second look rather than just scan flow by it. So someone yeah. in the chat, what does One Ring do that you want it to do? And what made you pick it up? Well, first of all, Dave picked it up first. Yeah. And in response to that, it's a free league game. Yes. I fell in love with their products and they haven't let me down yet. So yeah. they tend um, to be really well written, really super high quality, beautiful yeah, books with amazing. The art is amazing. So the stunning. quality of the book. The fact that like every book comes with one or more like ribbon bookmarks oh, to yeah, it. They're and, beautiful. Yeah, they're just well done. I and, feel like they condense down setting really well too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even if you haven't seen a movie or you don't mm-hmm. know the premise of the game they do a lot of franchise games and they really do like lay out the main factions and the timelines and all that stuff Mm -hmm. in the books Mm -hmm. yeah and i stumbled into them entirely by accident because i followed the artist that name escapes me that did all the tales from the loop art yeah it's so so i was a fan of the art and then I remember I when you freaked up. out. Yeah, like, I lost my mind. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Uh, I love this art. It's amazing. And they're making a, and they're making a game, game out of it. And, and all of us were like, a game based on art? I don't know. Yeah. But then yeah. it arrived and it's so still like my favorite game. But, yeah. You did a great, uh, great. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Thank you, Rob. Simon Stalinhug. Yeah. So then as they have continued releasing other games, I'm just happy to jump on board, and I haven't even run all their games yet. Yeah. You're not even that big of a Lord of the Rings fan, and you backed the One Ring. I mean, I enjoyed the films, and I've read the books, but I've never been... Like I said, you're not that big of a One Ring (laughs) fan. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the room, I'm way at the bottom of the totem pole. You haven't named your child after something from the Silmarillion, so... mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Legit. Like that's pretty, wonderful. Yeah, it's so nerdy. that's very wonderful. Um, <laughs> one of my child children has a middle name from Dune. <laughs> I'm not saying you're not a nerd. Mm. That was not in quite I was just saying for Tolkien. Yeah. You're right. Okay. You're right. But the thing I really love about specifically Free League and something that I look for in other games too is like Free League has the same kind of base core system that they use, mm-hmm. but they really tweak it for every game yeah. so that it really like epitomizes and captures the vibe of that game. Using like D and D as an example, like D and D's mechanics are pretty much the same no matter what you skin it with. Which a lot of games do that. Free League uses the same basic dicing mechanic, but it's very different for system to system. So if you play their Tales from the Loop versus playing One Ring versus their Blade Runner game, which I haven't played, or their Alien game, like it is vastly different yeah. and because it gives you a very different experience. So like in One Ring, it's specifically designed that you have like this big chance and like 
okay, you can succeed immediately or not. And like hope plays a big part of it. Mm. And where I'm sure that's very different than the alien experience. Alien's a wild game. Yeah. But they do a lot of, have a lot of like great tables for consequences still. Mm. Alien is very fun. They love tables. And the tables are very upright. Yeah. Specifically Um, the thing I like about Wondering, just because I'm like really like loving on it right now. I was expecting to hate like the journey part of it, like just reading it. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh, this is going to be so boring. You have to go and you count the hexes and blah, blah. And it felt very like mechanical to me. And it's become the part that I almost love the most because like so many cool adventure things happen. And I'm sure that there are groups that would be like, oh, you hit a misadventure, roll again. But like we dive into it and like make each thing like a building block on our bigger story. And like our last session was a really great example of this where like we were on our way to Rivendell and I was like okay we're gonna have like 40 minutes of getting to Rivendell and then we'll have like two and a half hours of role playing in Rivendell I'm gonna be ready for the elf experience and it's like nope we're gonna roll and then we're gonna run into some other stuff in the Shire and then we're gonna have to say like it just became like a whole nother little adventure which was so great and so like close to home for one of the players and it it just happened because of the journey like phase that happens to be in this game which is super cool and so like le- finding those differences, like I was saying earlier, like find the weird about the game and like lean into it. Like that's what I love about the Freely games is like they really lean into it. Like mm-hmm. sometimes enough to break it a little bit, but like they want to make each game mm-hmm. feel super unique, even though they have the same kind of foundation. Yeah. And my thing also is I played fantasy role playing for 20 years. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I want to go do other worlds and see other things. Mm-hmm. So I tend to gravitate that direction yeah. more than fantasy stuff of any brand or variety. Mm-hmm. But the fantasy stuff that I found myself coming back to a little bit is more of, I guess you could call it like cottage fantasy yeah. rather than high fantasy stuff. Like Wonder like, Home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or or even the One Ring kind of has that feel, even though it's this epic world and, and stories, it's our little party and that kind of stuff. And it, it feels big to go somewhere. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, shit. That's eight hexes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, let's try. Yeah. I mean, the game's designed for you to be like kind of not low level, but like hobbits. Like, like if you play the, the example, starter, yeah, the starter it, yeah. kit, like you're all hobbits. Like it's mm-hmm. not made to be like huge adventures. I know I'm bringing in a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of like elf stuff because I really like elves. But that's not like a natural part of One Ring. Like I'm, br- I'm, homebrewing and I'm pulling like individual monsters and stuff, but most of it's mm-hmm. made up as we go. So I'm going a little more high fantasy than it would be because I'm obsessed with elves, but who's not? But it's really made to be like the Shire and like Bree. Like there's a reason that like this is the part of the world that the, all the maps are like they haven't even done a whole bunch of other parts. Like Moria doesn't even have its own book yet. Things like that. It's very focused on these little home, like still exciting adventures. Yeah, yeah. But like it's like one of them is like, oh, you found a thief. You know, someone's stealing so-and-so from the tavern. Like it's mm-hmm. small level adventure stuff, which I love that I love that term cottage fantasy. I love that. Yeah. yeah it's like can still have epic results, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's more about this homey. Yeah. yeah. Small stories yeah. in a big world. Yeah. yeah, yeah epic, for sure. epic for the characters, not for the mm, fate of yes, the universe. Yeah. Yeah. But to completely pull away from books on yes. Kickstarter and yeah. to say how I pick products that are tabletop game products that aren't books, I think that's kind of another mm-hmm. thing entirely. Yeah. Especially when it comes to like dice Kickstarters <sighs> and enamel pins and even virtual tabletop Kickstarters, mm-hmm. things like that. 
especially when it is a physical product that I'm going to receive, it's not enough to see just a mock-up. Like I want a picture of the product, especially for dice. People have been burned way too many times with like, I think it was Kraken. Kraken dice. Kraken dice. That was me. Yep. Same here. So seeing leading up to a Kickstarter that there are like models that dice makers have made, Dispel Dice, beautiful. I followed Dispel Dice for like a year and a half Mm -hmm. before I ever got my hands on a set. And then I was like, I know that these are going to look and feel amazing. And then they did. And they do. Yeah. So like great product, consistent product, just like a lot of photos and things like that. Really helpful. Also like just guarantees about the quality of the company, Mm -hmm. I think make a big difference for a Kickstarter. I am less likely to back a random Kickstarter that's like, we're doing something that's never been seen before. And then it's animal themed dice. So (laughs) I, I do like to have companies that I trust, like put out consistent Kickstarters that make cool things. Kind of linked with that. Yeah, no, please. But like transparency about the process. Yeah. Like, hey, we have already met with, we have a a partnership with our production in this country. And this, you don't have to give me like the exact price breakdown, like Mm -hmm. the little graphs of like this much is for paying our staff. This much is for product production or whatever. That's great. I don't need to know the exact price of the book. I know you're going to charge me more. That's fine. I get it. But like saying we already have our factory partnership set. We've already signed the contracts. We're just waiting to fill in the rest of like, based on how many of you back it, that sort of thing. Maybe not. They shouldn't sign the contracts already. If they do that, that's a bad sign. But you definitely shouldn't sign until they have their Kickstarter money. But like already that they've reached out and they've sourced all that stuff already is a must for me with books, but also especially with stuff like dice or pins, which I do a lot of that stuff because I like that stuff. Yeah. But and and like all of that stuff, it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. But I do like to see innovative things. And I feel like, especially since we all spent a lot of time on Kickstarter, <laughs> there are those moments where you see a Kickstarter and you click into it and you immediately know that it's something interesting and innovative. Yeah, They have a great video mm-hmm. that is just exciting and entertaining to watch. The idea itself seems unique and original and they seem to care a lot. I had a moment like that with a indie Kickstarter called The Zone, which was a tabletop role-playing game based on stuff like Annihilation where you are delving into unnatural and strange locations and your characters all eventually die and are mutated and all this stuff. And like the top tier backer level had just a radioactive box and like glow sticks inside and these like iridescent foil cards and you play in the dark and get to like crack the glow sticks and they're reusable. I was like, I've never seen this before. I want that in my house immediately. Yeah. I have a cultural touchstone that I know I love these movies that it's playing off of, and it looks really, really neat. Uh, Same thing with certain Kickstarters. I think I haven't backed it, but there was a Kickstarter for these dice that had like programmable faces where you could put whatever art you wanted on the die faces and like change them as you rolled. I mean, I know the product's going to be expensive, but there's something about something that feels new that makes me say, okay, I really want to see how that works. Yeah. As a game designer, I was looking at those, I was like, I could totally use these to play test stuff before. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't have to do like the janky buy dice and like draw on them with a Sharpie, like yeah. the blank dice. It's like, I could like use these for play tests if I'm thinking of designing something that has unique dice, which I generally oh. against morally, but... That's so cool know. though. Imagine if you could put a different face on each side of the dice yeah. and then you have to like react smiling or react angry, whatever. What like what? Yeah, There's okay. so many weird mechanics you could do with that. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I think that too, like 
again, like lean into the weird. Even if it's your pins, lean into why the pins are unique and weird. Mm-hmm. So just any of that stuff. Yeah. I, I also consider myself lucky because I've never been particularly burnt by any crowdfunding yet. Mm, yeah. I'm not including Star Citizen. That's a thing. And it may become a game someday. But sure. Yeah. yeah. But that I felt like it was a nostalgia throwaway money thing for me. Yeah. And maybe someday I'll play a game and it'll be fine. Yeah. But yeah, no, I even and this was I think my riskiest thing I ever backed was a single dude company that was going to make tiny little fits in a hex or fits in a square digital minis. Mm. So it was like screens on both sides. You could have a facing side picture and another side picture. And it was a little rechargeable doodad and you could fit like 30 different characters on it and had a button to cycle through them. And it was great. And it worked really well for a while. And then the battery died. And yeah, it was clearly kind of homemade jank. But it I mean, you sold me on it. It wasn't very expensive. And, yeah. and that that's the other thing I also look at on Kickstarter is mm-hmm. if they're coming at me and they want me to throw $500 at them, it better be amazing. If they're coming and saying, hey, 20 bucks gets you a PDF copy of something that looks interesting. Great. That's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also look in the comments. Yeah. That's the big thing for me, too, is like a lot of times I'll back like you, you can do the thing where you back for one dollar and then you can up it later. And I'll just kind of monitor how they manage the Kickstarter. And as it goes and like if they're really responsive to people in the comments mm-hmm. and like respectful and if people ask questions and they're super honest and like upfront about things like, hey, this is the first time we've done that. That's a great question. Let us look that up and get back to you. And then yeah. they do that. Like, I love that. That's great. If they have some like prefab like PR answer that's like blah 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 and blah 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 and especially if they start using like diversity as a marketing tool that tends to really like be like I love diverse games I want that to be part of the game if you start using it as like like inform people that your game is designed to be diverse and played by other people and like have samples where you use different pronouns and stuff like that but if you're like support us as I don't know there's like a line where it becomes like informative and like welcoming to people and then like kind of exploitative i don't know there's a thing there where it starts to be a little bit like feeling like you're using this to get attention more than to do it because you think it's the right thing to do i don't know that's a hard thing that's totally just like a diversity is the bare minimum i also want your product to be good and your team to be right cool people right and like for it to be like involved in all levels like you shouldn't be like oh you know we're diverse and then like have like a bunch of only white people on your game. Like I get a lot of us are like individual creators. Like if it's just you making your game and you happen to be white, that's different. (laughs) But like if you have a team and it's like a large team and you're having writers, oh, if your only diversity is like stretch goals, like, oh, we're going to have this person of color write for us only if you give us this much money. That's kind of the thing I'm talking about. That's when I start being like, ooh, um, mm, that seems a little weird. Like, there's like a little warning sign. So that's another thing I look forward to. Cool. Yeah, that's so much thing. Like basically look for everything. But yeah. But also supporting indie creators on Kickstarter is awesome. And also don't just go to Kickstarter. Yeah. Like, check out stuff on Indiegogo. Check out stuff on Backerkit. There are a bunch of other cool crowdfunding platforms. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like you can get some really cool stuff from them. And it also is generally a green flag for me that a creator is giving another crowdfunding platform a shot. Yeah. I just, I think it's cool and I think it's neat and I'm more likely to try and support on those platforms, even though I also have trust in Kickstarter to come to me and say like, this is how long, you know, you have left and 
like to get the updates and responses. So yeah, take that. But I, I I agree. Like especially like I'm still kind of weighing options for some of my games in the future, and yeah. I'm looking at a lot of those other platforms, and some of them have really great like options. Some of them are specifically for games, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so yeah. Also, please look at their previous Kickstarters. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you see, it's just a thousand angry people with pitchforks and torches. Just maybe, maybe nope out of that one. Yeah, I feel like that's like should bump to like the top. Yeah, up. That, that's, yeah. that's step Red one. Is like click on that little creator yeah. name and yeah. figure it out. And if it's their first Kickstarter, cool as long as they're like yeah. being honest about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with a new person on the scene doing something cool. That's, that's great. awesome. But if you look and they're like, oh, we've created 35 Kickstarters and you go and it's 35 trash fires, you go, yeah. well, okay, yeah. maybe um, maybe yeah. I'm not going to be 36. I've yeah. done that. Yeah, there was a set of dice. I don't even remember what they looked like, but I really I loved them. They were great. And it was like actual photos. It wasn't a like like yeah. digital image and stuff. I was like, okay, great. And then I went and clicked on them and it like they'd done like three other dice Kickstarters and like one of them had been fulfilled partially. Mm. And it was like, oh, oh, no, never mind. Nope, out of that forever. And if they exist, eventually, maybe I'll buy them once they exist. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's primo right there. Good call. Or the classic like, oh, I went to the store and I saw this product that I backed on Kickstarter for sale and I haven't gotten my product yet. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I get like the digital copy because like I've had times where I go to, and I'm like, oh, that's for sale. Oh, I backed that. And then I go. Oh, I got an email about that six a months ago. ago. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's like a good reason. And digital, like they post it as they send the email. Like that's fine. But yeah, if I see it in a store before backers oh, yeah. get it, that's a big, big no-no. Mm-hmm. That's not okay. Yeah. Every couple of months I, I go through and I like clean up my drive through <laughs> library. Yeah. Like all the back that. things that I haven't re-added. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm not good at that. No, I'm so bad about that. Also, just as a quick FYI. Another all also. Done, <laughs> Stu is perfectly alive. He's fine. I saw him on St. Patrick's Day, and I'll see him again this Sunday. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. Cool. Really? Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. I think that's it. Thank you for joining us for Season 31, Episode 21. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Ashy Feet Games. You can go to ashyfeet.com to find their awesome stuff. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. We love you. You're the reason we're able to be super honest about all the games and talk about all the games because we don't have to worry about pissing anybody off because we don't need money for anybody because you're awesome. And you can join their amazing ranks at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. And my name is Kimmy. I'm Kadeev. And I am Alec. And today we're going to leave you with a song. It's called Drink Till I Die. It's by a group called The Poxy Boggards. Uh, who Stu is part of them and is still alive and in that band still. And you can see them at the Renaissance Pleasure Fair pretty soon with my old band, Claire's mm. band, the Merry Wives of Windsor. And you can find them at poxyboggards.com, I believe. And yeah. Probably better to find them on Facebook. Probably. Because I don't think this website's been updated in like Stu's a decade. Stu's alive, but doesn't update the website. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Is half past three 
show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information, and to find all our streams and podcasts. Mm-hmm.